Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. All right, how are we doing this morning? Are we awake? Are we caffeinated? Are you ready? All right, on the count of three, just say Jesus in your most excited voice. One, two, three. All right, let's go. I'm ready now. Matthew chapter 6, if you're brand new with us, uh, you're joining us in our uh, walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which functionally is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, when Jesus delivers a uh, robust sermon to disciples, Christians that are already followers of his. In essence, what we have is Jesus teaching uh, us what it means to live like a Christian, and who better to talk about Christianity than Christ himself. Amen? That's what the sermon is functionally. It's teaching us uh, from Jesus Christ himself, what does it look like to live as a Christ follower in the world? And last week, Jesus in this sermon turned his attention towards uh, teaching his disciples how to pray. Um, so we looked at that last week, and then we're going to be walking through what uh, a lot of people call the model prayer that Jesus gives us. Um, so last week, Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, three times in just a couple small verses, he says that, assuming that Christians are going to be people that pray. Um, because we looked at last week, prayer is uh, really, it's, it's a conversation or communication between uh, us and God through the mediator Christ. Uh, and uh, at the heart of a relationship is communication. And because Christianity is about a relationship that Jesus has purchased for us uh, to be brought back into relationship because Christ died for our sins, forgave them, bridged the gap. Jesus has brought us into a relationship with Jesus. And because we are relational centric, we are prayer centric because communication is important to relationships. So uh, we talked about last week, what does it mean to truly uh, be people that pray? And I've been very, very encouraged uh, just the last week or so of hearing stories of people that have uh, changed things in their prayer life. There are things going off in their mind when they feel certain things or if they struggle with anxiety or fear, those are uh, things that draw us into prayer. Uh, so I've been encouraged by that. I've been encouraged uh, the last few days of some new believers, I've heard some stories uh, just saying that what Jesus teaches has been very helpful because they wanted to pray, uh, they know they should pray, they need to pray, uh, but maybe intimidated by prayer, think I don't have a huge theological vocabulary, I don't know how to go on and on, and so Jesus just gives us some very, very uh, simple and, and even practical ways to pray to our Father. So, uh, as Jesus is going to walk us through this, what we call the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer, a few things that I want to draw your attention to. Um, number one, you just kind of see behind the scenes uh, that Jesus, as he is not just teaching his disciples here how to pray, but as you see Jesus praying throughout the Gospels, he has a very strong sense that his Father loves him, already knows the future, and is highly involved and committed to him. Um, also, you're going to see that this model prayer, it, it's, it's fairly simple and it's fairly short. Um, because sometimes the, the most simple prayers are sometimes the shortest prayers. And, and he, Jesus taught us last week that just because we go on and on and ramble and ramble and maybe uh, try to fill our prayers up with length and, and, and complicated things, that doesn't mean God listens to them more. So this is a very simple, um, even short uh, way that he teaches us how to pray. And then just as a side note, you need to write this down or at least know this. This is not an exhaustive dealing with prayer. There's a 
lot of elements to prayer that Jesus does not cover in the model prayer, one of which is praying for others. That's not in this prayer, but you see that taught elsewhere in Scripture and even Jesus himself praying for other people. So this is a model to use to pray. This is not an exhaustive study. And so I hope that this encourages you and pushes you towards praying to the Father. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 9 through 15 this morning. If you are there, say ready. All right, Jesus says, pray then like this. Okay, he has already talked about don't pray like this. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees who love to stand in public places. They love to be very visible and, and give these long, drawn out sermons so that they can get some attention and some praise from people. If that's them, they have their reward. Uh, their reward is not that God listens and answers and moves, it's that people think they're cool. And he says, don't pray like this. So, this is the other side of the coin where Jesus t- is teaching us how to pray. And he says, then pray then like this. And I don't want to move past that phrase too quickly because there is a lot. So we're going to work through this prayer that Jesus gives us uh, in order. And the first thing, that first word that Jesus uses is pray, and it's in a very interesting um, verb tense. The, the, The verb tense that Jesus uses, it's a present imperfect verb, which means when Jesus says pray, he is expecting us to pray often, all the time, over and over and over, almost as if the way Paul says it, to pray without ceasing. So even in that little word, Jesus is saying, this is not just a one-time thing. We need to be people that learn how to carry on an ongoing conversation with the Father, to pray, to pray, to pray without ceasing, to always really be aware that God is at work around us, that God has plans that he has prepared for you for this day, for us to be aware of, uh, for us to learn how to constantly be in communication with our Father. He says, pray like this. There is a huge difference in the, the phrase, pray this, and pray like this, okay? If, if Jesus says pray this, that means we just memorize this prayer and we maybe even mindlessly and heartlessly just repeat it. That's not what Jesus is giving us. He's not giving us just a mantra to repeat and to memorize. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. So what, what we're getting is basically a template It's a template to think about uh, different ways to pray and when we pray, things that we should think about and consider, but we take that template and we don't just memorize it and repeat it back. We lay it over our hearts, we lay it over our experiences and our emotions, and we use that to help us as we pray. There's a big difference in pray this and pray like this. Jesus says, pray then like this. This, and then he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I can already tell I'm going to go over. So we're going to move fairly quickly, and you can pray that we'll get this all uh, done here before lunch. So I just, there, there, there's so much. Uh, we could set aside probably uh, two months, eight weeks to just focus in on this prayer, um, but we are going to treat it as Jesus did uh, in one lump sum. So he says, Our, everybody say, Our. It's interesting to me that he doesn't say, pray then like this, my father, right? Um, and, and Because he had just told us, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, but go into your closet alone, shut the door and pray. So he's already talked about kind of a, a personal private prayer where one Christian prays in quiet, in, in isolation, 
with no distractions to God, but then he incorporates kind of this idea of, of corporate prayer that we are sometimes to pray together. And even when we're isolated and alone, you're in your closet with the door closed, praying to your father, I think it still makes sense to pray our father, right? This is a very non-American way to view things. Americans, we really struggle with this idea that that we have not just been saved individually, although that is true, but we have been saved and brought into a family where we now belong because we belong to God the Father. We belong in the family to each other. We have spiritual brothers, we have spiritual sisters, and so there's a way in which we can get kind of lopsided because Americans, we love individualism, right? Like we just love the idea that we're kind of our own person and, and, and we're individuals and no doubt God has made us unique and individuals, but Jesus is, is calling us into remembering that we're part of something much bigger. And so many, many cultures on the planet, they, they know this, they feel this, that they, they, they feel connected with the body and, and they pray our Father. And I think well, I would encourage you to memorize this prayer, but I would encourage you as you memorize it to use it as a template. And so when you pray and you say, Our Father, you're reminded that you're caught up in something much bigger than just you, right? You're caught up in a family that will endure forever. That all throughout the Old Testament, God talks about purchasing a people for himself, a, a family from every corner of the globe, from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue belong together. We have the same father, our father. Okay, everybody say father. We're going to be doing a lot of this today. I need some help this morning. Father, he, he's, he's saying something that is very, very unique to, to, to the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, Jesus is, uh, or God is rarely referred to as Father. Fifteen times in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father, and most of the time that has a national lens to it. It's like God is the Father of this nation, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he just overwhelms people just talking about Father, 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 Father. Forty-three times in Matthew, uh, Jesus talks about God as Father. One hundred and 65 times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as Father. He's trying to hammer this into our heart that God's not just a distant God that runs the world from his throne and he's unengaged. He is a Father who cares and knows and loves. That's a revolutionary idea that I don't think we should ever get past. That God has given you the right to call him Father. So Jesus says, when you pray, you pray like this. Our Father in heaven, okay? So you've got Father where it's kind of this remembering every time we pray that God is very close, very near, understands, but he's also in heaven. And I don't know if you know this, but heaven, uh, if you were in heaven, you would have a very different perspective on life, wouldn't you? When we pray, it's important to f know that God is close as a father, but also know that he is to be worshiped and revered and he's in heaven and he's other uh, from us. And when you pray, just as a side note, God answers according to his will and according to his perspective. And if we were in heaven, we would have a very different perspective 
on maybe the things that we ask for in prayer, maybe the situation that we find ourselves in. And so we can very easily get frustrated if we don't get the answer from God that we want. But it's important to remember that he is looking at things from a very different perspective. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Everybody say hallowed. Raise your hand if that's the first time you've used that word this morning. Okay, raise your hand if that's the first time you've ever used that word. <laughs> uh, not a, a normal, common word maybe in our vernacular. In fact, mo- some, some of your, your Bible translations, they will probably translate that as holy. And maybe you grew up the version that you memorized, holy is your name. Um, th- th- this one actually, although it's somewhat of an outdated word that we don't use much, it's, it's actually incredibly precise and, and it's important. And if it's translated holy, that's a little bit of a fumble. And, and I want you to hang with me for this one because this one, it, it's, it's incredibly important because this prayer gets at the heart of what Christianity is all about, what creation and the cosmos and human beings and your life were created for. So it would be one thing if Jesus says, and when you pray, pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. That would be a descriptor, okay? Uh, Holy would be somewhat like an adjective, like uh, God is holy, and I'm just praying that that I'm, I'm admiring God's character as being holy, which is a good thing, and it's found elsewhere. Jonathan talked about it a little bit this morning, like the idea that God is holy, holy, holy. That's one of his maybe maybe even his main attribute but that's not what Jesus says he's not saying just pray and, and and acknowledge this divine characteristic that God has that he's holy it's actually a verb that Jesus uses he prays hallowed or magnified glorified lifted up be your name he's praying that something would happen where people would be moved to truly acknowledge who God is and respond to that accordingly do y'all see how those are a little different He's not just praying a description. Jesus is saying, when you pray, let me reword this just a little bit. It's really a plea that the world around us would see God for who he is, be in awe, and respond to him accordingly. That's what it means for his name to be hallowed, okay? That, that's, that's a deep cry. That's a deep plea that Jesus gives us. To reword it again, if we pray this prayer the way that I think Jesus is teaching us to, we would pray something like, oh oh God, that the world would see and understand just exactly how powerful you are and respond to that. I I wish the world could see, God, how gracious you are and be in awe and respond to that or how much mercy that you have or uh, the depths of your justice. Uh, It is a cry for people to see God as he truly is and be glorified and magnified. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Quarles uh, says this, uh, who I've referenced a handful of times uh, in this series. He says that those who pray the model prayer, especially with this little phrase, hallowed be your name, we're asking God to enable us to live as true disciples who honor the Lord's name through holy lives. So he's talking about this connection like, you. listen, you've got to be real careful 
what you pray, especially when you start praying the Lord's Prayer, when you find out that a big way that God answers that prayer is by using you to do certain things, right? When we start praying, God, hallowed be your name. I would like the whole world and even my neighbors to know who you are. Then you kind of find out, well, the answer for how he does that is what? It's you. It's like as you display Christ's character to the world and explain his gospel to the world and like, like we become the way God answers the prayer. So be careful. Like this is one of those things. You like, some of you know this. Like, well, I quit praying for patience a long time ago. Why? Because if you pray for patience, all of a sudden you find yourself in a very trying time where you're what? Where you're learning patience, right? You got to be real careful praying the Lord's Prayer because God's going to use you to fulfill it, right? So this is what Quarles is saying. Those who pray the model prayer, they're asking God to enable them to live as true disciples who honor the Lord's name through holy lives. This is a desire at the heart of Christians for God's name and glory and character to be magnified in the world. There, there is a dangerous place that a culture like ours that's very pragmatic, it loves to get things done, and I'm all for getting things done. But, but sometimes in our culture, there can be kind of a, a, like a, a yawn when we talk about the glory of God in prayer. We're like, yeah, that sounds great, but get, get, get me down to the practical things because I got some stuff in my life I got to figure out. And I don't know if that's you or not, but I think we've got to be real careful if we, if we yawn at speaking of the glory of God. That's the essence. That's the reason the cosmos was created. Why are there stars in the sky? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. Why have human beings been created and imprinted with the very image of God so that we can glory? Like that is at the essence of everything. It's when we pray not just to get quickly to our petition of things that we need and we need things and we should ask God for those things. We need help, we should ask God for help. But don't breeze past this prayer that God would be magnified in the world and maybe even through your life. That's what Jesus is inviting us to pray when he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I desperately want the glory of God known around me. He keeps going, verse 10. May your kingdom come. Uh, most commentators, and I looked at two main uh, writers or, or pastors this week working through this. One of them is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, and one of them is John Stott. And, and they both agree that when Jesus says the, the word come here, when your kingdom come, it's talking about growing. It's talking about God's kingdom growing, not just arriving, but actually uh, growing. So Jesus says, pray like this, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Everybody say, your kingdom. All right, three main, uh, like if you get theologians that have really poured some, some time and effort and energy into understanding, trying to understand what Jesus is, is telling us to pray, uh, they, they kind of wind up in three different schools of thought on this. When Jesus says, you should go and into your closet and pray and ask for God's kingdom to come or God's kingdom to grow, um, the first one is an ethical way um, that that might play itself out. So some people would think, okay, we're supposed to pray that God would help us to live out true ethics of the kingdom here on earth so that 
people know what heaven is like because we have representatives from heaven living amongst us and they're full of grace and they forgive and they're patient and they're kind and they love truth. Like there's an ethical way that this is playing out uh, where we just provide a tangible glimpse of heaven on earth, okay? That's option one. Option two is more of an evangelistic uh, understanding, that when we're praying God's kingdom come or grow, we're asking not just that Christians would be filled up in our, our, our character living but that other people around us that are not Christians would become Christians. Like the kingdom would grow numerically around us. That's the second option. And I can get behind both of those, right? Like if you're praying, and and if the first one is right, uh, that there's an ethical understanding for your kingdom come, I can totally get behind that, that Christians need to live as members of God's kingdom on earth. And true or false, if we do that well, we're gonna stand out. Everybody say true? I can get behind that. Okay, the second one, an evangelistic, that if we're asking for God's kingdom to grow, that people that aren't Christians would become Christians, I can get behind that, okay? Third one is an eschatological or an end times view where they would say, when we're praying this, we're asking for Jesus to come back to finish this thing, to throw evil out, to overthrow it once and for all, to set up his rule and reign forever. I can get behind that one too, amen? Somebody told me this morning, it's been a rough week. I wish Jesus would come back. And God's people said? Okay, amen. Whoever it was that was, I could understand that voice. That was her. That was her. I think it's, it's all three. Uh, Bonhoeffer and Stott would agree with that. Uh, in fact, uh, listen to what John Stott uh, had to say about this. He says, to pray that the kingdom may come, which Jesus is teaching us to pray, Okay, so this isn't just a sermon for us to know, right? These are things you're supposed to do in your closet tonight, right? In the times that we have to pray, to take this template, to lay it over our hearts and for it to teach us how to pray. So when you're praying tonight or tomorrow morning, God, your kingdom come, we're praying all of those things. He says, to pray that the kingdom may come is to pray both that it may grow as through the church's witness, people submit to Jesus and that soon it will be consummated when Jesus returns to glory. We should pray that the presence of the kingdom of heaven on earth should grow through the witness and lives of Christians. We should live the kingdom ethic on this world to be a little bit of a taste of heaven on earth, a glimpse of glory on earth. You're praying towards that, and God uses you to answer that. I think we should pray, God, would you grow your kingdom in Midland? A lot of people need Jesus in Midland, Texas. And we need to pray that God's kingdom would grow and he would uh, invite new folks in. And we need to pray like that Jesus would come back. Paul tells Timothy that there's like a special, uh, a special reward for those who are leaning in and longing for the second coming or for the appearing of Christ. And that should be a part of your prayers. If it's not a part of your prayers, sometimes we can just fall a little bit too in love with this world and not long for the next. Your kingdom come. And then he says, your will be done. Everybody say your Okay, that's an important word. (laughs) He doesn't say when you pray, pray like this. God, your kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? 
that's revolutionary. Like when you pray, it's like, like your will and God's will sometimes are different. True, true story. Like what we want and what God wants sometimes are different. Sometimes we can walk into prayer saying, God, I know they're different. I just would like you to bend your will over towards mine. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, um, a big part of prayer should be you bending your will towards his. Whose will is better? Thank you. Gosh, bonus points in heaven. Literally. Jesus gave, this is not just something that Jesus taught. This is something he lived. This is the way that he prayed. If you go find him in the garden, he realizes kind of what he wants and what God wants are different. He's like, I don't want to be stripped down naked and crucified. God, if there's any, if there's a plan B, now would be a really good time for plan B. I don't want to go to the cross, but he prays, what? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Don't remember Romans chapter 12 when it says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and and basically figure out what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. God's will, it's good, it's perfect, it's pleasing. Part of our time in prayer needs to ask him to bend our will towards his, and his will, it's good, it's perfect, it's pleasing. We know a lot of it because it's in the scriptures and, and some of the, the, the details of your life that are not in the scriptures, when you spend time in prayer, you find out what God's will is. And when you pray, so you're gonna, some of you are going to walk into your prayer this week knowing that what you want and what he wants are different. Okay, and part of your prayer is, Lord, bend me, bend my will so that I will do what you want me to do. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he keeps going, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Everybody say bread. If you love carbs, give me an amen. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a prayer for provision that God would provide. And if you were a first century reader and you had any Jewish um, either lineage or understanding of history, uh, a few things come to your mind when Jesus says this, uh, namely the God's people that had been uh, rescued out of Egypt. Um, they are wandering around the desert for 40 days and God gave them what in the morning? Bread in the morning and quail at night. All the quail hunters in the room said, gosh, so many side notes in this. Every morning he would give them enough bread for that day and they couldn't, they couldn't try to you know, do what some of us would do and bring a large Tupperware and try to get enough for the next day and the next week and get some for the fridge, right? Like it wasn't a Sam's run, it was just enough bread for that day. And that was, a, I think, a very purposeful thing that God was doing to teach his people to rely on him every day. And so that's what Jesus is is calling our attention back as we pray for provision. There's just a unique way that Jesus says, like, don't pray that God gives you everything you need for the month. And I don't think he's talking just about physical needs. I really don't. I think that's included, but I, I think he's talking about all of the things that we need. We don't need enough patience for the month. We, we don't need enough wisdom for the month. We don't need enough forgiveness for the month. Sometimes if you think about that, you can be very overwhelmed. Uh, I was thinking about that with my kids this last week. Like, I don't, ha- I don't know what to do uh, five years from now. You know, just wisdom with rate. What do I need to know? I, I need enough wisdom for today. 
So this is a prayer for provision, not just for that we would have enough, of, enough money and enough food on the table, but all the things that God provides for us, there's a reminder that he gives it every day. Do you remember when Jesus said, like, tomorrow has enough problems of its own, let's get through today? When you pray, maybe you look at your calendar before you pray, and you're like, I've got that meeting coming up, or I've got this anniversary coming up, or this thing coming up. Pray, Lord, I need enough patience, wisdom, forgiveness, grace, whatever it might be for today. Give us this day our daily bread. C.S. Lewis said this, he says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been. I was on a backpack a hunting trip a couple of years ago, and uh, we had a tent and everything on our back and going a few miles into the wilderness, uh, and I had brought enough food for about four or five days, um, but I had put it all in little gallon Ziplocs. Um, so each day had its own gallon Ziploc, and uh, we would leave the tent in the morning when it was still dark, uh, and uh, my brother-in-law was hunting with us, and he's like, well, how much food do we bring? He's like, just enough for today, uh, and then when you're done eating all of that, well, you got to go back to the tent and refuel, Right? I just slide in as many elk hunting stories as I can. Jesus is like, just pray for today because you need to be driven back tomorrow and be reminded that you're reliant on God for everything. Pray today, give us this day our daily bread. Verse 12, he keeps going, and forgive us our debts as we we also have forgiven our debtors. Everyone say forgive. It is amazing how often Jesus talks about forgiveness. I mean, it's staggering the proportion of his teaching that has to do with us learning how to forgive people, mainly sourced by how God has forgiven us in Christ. That's the ground zero for where we learn this, that we realize Christ has forgiven us infinitely, and we've got to learn how to forgive. He, he talks about it over and over and over. And if we don't, learn how to constantly forgive people, we're kind of destined for a life of just being calloused and being bitter and being angry and being cynical because you cannot navigate this life without being hurt. You can't navigate the world without being sinned against. And so your only two options are to let that eat away at you and harbor unforgiveness or to learn the way of Jesus to forgive Even if you locked yourself in a closet for the next 50 years, you'd probably be mad at somebody for not coming to find you, right? Like there's just no way around navigating through the world without being hurt. We've got to learn to forgive. Jesus says like part of your daily prayer needs to involve this forgiveness idea, which he says basically is a two-way road. Uh, Forgive us. He's like part of your prayer needs to be asking God to forgive you. Why? Because we sin. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) We sin, okay? We need to constantly, when we pray, and again, this is a template to lay over our hearts so that it becomes specific. When you pray, you confess, I think, specific sins. That's part of what the Holy Spirit does. He has come to convict us and convince us when what we have done is sin so that we might confess that to God, to be really good at repentance. So if you're gonna pray like Jesus prays, we're gonna have a daily time that we think about where we're sinning and we confess that, God, forgive me. But then the second part of that, the two-way road is, as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
the way that's phrased basically means this a little bit rephrased, as we are also forgiving others. It's not saying that God will only save and forgive those who forgive first. It's saying when, when we truly grasp the gospel, the forgiveness of God will, be, will flow through us as a conduit so that because God has forgiven us, we will forgive others. Verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver. Deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. Everybody say deliver. Jesus says when you pray, make sure that you include this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver. The word deliver here means rescue, and it implies a sense of helplessness. What are we asking God to protect us from, to rescue us from, to deliver us from. I think it's probably important enough to slide in here when it says lead us not into temptation. That's not asking because normally God leads us to temptation because James says God doesn't tempt us. What, what it's saying is like there, there's, in my day today, there are going to be some temptations to sin. This is the prayer. God, would you please protect me from temptation and protect me from the evil one? And here it says, from evil. Some of your versions say, actually, from the evil one. Part of our prayer needs to be about protection. I think some of us maybe, maybe we, we fail to see how vulnerable we are to temptations and so to be aware that we are probably weaker towards temptation than we might imagine, um, we pray these things and then we're aware the Lord protects us. He protects us from uh, temptation. He protects us from the evil one. And again, in the Western culture, we just don't put a lot of times, a lot of emphasis on spiritual warfare and demonic beings and evil forces, and we should. <laughs> Right? There's a lot of evil that is going on in the world around us. Jesus gives us this model prayer, and he says, include this prayer for asking God to protect us from temptation, to deliver us from evil. That's what Jesus says. When you pray, pray like this. Take this, think about it. Apply it to your own situation, your own heart, your own life, and pray to your Father who listens and hears and loves. If you could sum up just kind of some of the, some of the essence behind this prayer and the, the things that, that Jesus includes, the topics that he includes, it's really to teach us that everything has to do with God, like our, our salvation, our survival, our sanctification, this prayer is a reminder that we belong to God and, and, and our salvation is because of him, our sanctification is because of him, our safety is because of him. It draws us in to pray. Your relationship with God and the strength of it, the closeness of it in a great way has to do with our communication with God through prayer. Jesus died, submitted himself to a cross for many reasons. One of them was to give us the ability to pray to God Almighty as our Father. I don't know why, but I feel the Lord asking me to close on this because in our culture, like fathers are a, a tricky thing. All right, for the fathers in the room, 
you probably feel the weight of what a powerful thing it is that God the Father has decided to share his title with you. And a lot of people, we've talked about this over the years, a lot of people view God through the lens of their earthly father, be that good or bad, how our father has treated us or neglected us or abused us or encouraged us is how we tend to think about God the Father. And so for those of you in the room that might have some issues or some deep wounds from your father, you need to be reminded that God is a perfect father. He's not like that. He doesn't bear the the sin that your father had. You don't have those scars from God the Father. And you need to know that and retrain yourself to engage the Father as the good and the perfect Father that He is. And for the fathers in the room, just the weight of that to think my my sin and, and the mistakes I make towards my kids are going to affect their ability to understand God as a father. It, make, it makes you want to do two things, I think, at least two. One is to try to give them a godly picture of what a godly father is like. There's a, man, there's a lot on your shoulders to help them view God as a father, and yet we're all going to sin and mess up often. And so fathers in the room, future fathers in the room, when you mess up and you sin, what an incredible moment to sit your kids down and to own it and say, listen, dad should not have acted this way, should not have responded this way. I'm an imperfect father. Daddy needs Jesus too. So we get to say, like, why am, I, why am I this way in a good sense? Well, because God is a good father and he's like this. And I, I've messed up and I need Jesus too. And I want you to know that my sin should not hinder you from seeing God as a father. I think there's something in there for someone in the room that the Holy Spirit has given you. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for opening up a way for us to have a father, to speak to a father, to pray to a father, to receive the father's love. God, I pray that you truly would revolutionize the way we see you. Maybe someone, maybe many, many people in this room are having problems praying to you and relating to you as a father because of wounds that they carry. I pray your Holy Spirit would meet them in those places that you would allow them to forgive that you would allow them an incredible amount of grace to move forward and that you would help them to see you as you truly are. You're full of forgiveness. You've got wisdom, patience, grace, mercy. You're a protector. You never neglect. God, for the dads in the room, I pray a supernatural strength to bear the title you have shared with us in an honorable way and forgive us when we fail to do that and help us to ask forgiveness of our kids when we do that so that they might see that we need Jesus too. Father, I pray in the moments that we have together this morning that you would be hallowed, that your name would be hallowed, that people would recognize you for who you are and respond with awe and worship. We love you. I invite you to move in our presence, and we pray this in Christ's name.
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.